0: Listen now to God's holy and inerrant word. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, Or even like this tax collector, I fast twice. Please take note of who is forgiven in this passage. Listen now to God's holy and inerrant word. Would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted." Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it.
1: Father, we come before you this morning bringing these tithes, these gifts, and these offerings um, Expressing our tremendous gratitude towards you for you have given us your only son, Jesus Christ, and you have blessed us with everything that we have in this life. So we are simply now returning to you what you have first given to us and asking that you would use it in this world in order that the kingdom of darkness would be pushed back in order that your kingdom would be revealed in the world in order that the wonderful good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to all the nations. And, Father, as we ourselves prepare now to sit beneath your word, Father, we pray that the gospel would be proclaimed to us because we are people who need it. As we think about coming together, we gather together as one body to worship, but we all come from different places in life. And some of us come through these doors immediately and profoundly aware of their fallenness and their brokenness, and others come through triumphant. Some come hurting and some come comfortable, so comfortable even That we fail to at times realize how unbelievably dependent we are upon you for everything. Even the very next breath we take. Some come convinced and others unconvinced. Some full of joy and some stricken with despair. Some happy and some angry. Some who appear very good and those who appear very bad. But however we come this morning. Father, we pray that you would take us to the feet of Jesus, take us to the foot of the cross, that we would be reminded together that though our symptoms are different, though we face different things right now, this very day, we really are all the same because we are all far more broken than we could ever imagine. And so we need to be reminded today of the good news of Jesus That though we are far more broken than we can imagine, we are also far more loved, far more secure, far more approved of than we could have ever dreamed possible. So take us to the foot of the cross, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Please be seated. This time I'll invite the children ages three to six to be make their way to the back of the sanctuary and be dismissed to Children's Church. Um. This morning, we are actually finishing a series that we've been in for several months now. This a series on the parables that Jesus told and are recorded for us in Luke's gospel. And I purposefully wanted to end with this parable. Um, and it's because I think that this parable that Jesus tells, I think it really hits the deepest and rawest nerve. In our lives. Um, if you look verse nine. We see that Jesus told this parable to people who are trusting. In their own righteousness. And then in verse 14 at the end of the parable. He tells us that this tax collector went home. Justified. Okay. One is a noun. And one is a verb. But it's the same exact word in the Greek. You know. Righteousness and justification. Good Great biblical words. But let's try to demystify it just a little bit um, and talk about maybe more words that are more common to us and feelings that are more common to us. Because deep down in the core of our being, I would argue that we are all desperate to know that we matter. Right, that that we're significant, that we have Value, right? We are desperate to know that we're okay, And that we're approved of and that we're loved and accepted to know that we we measure up and that we're enough. You know, Hollywood and ESPN and videos that go viral on your Facebook feed, um, they know this about us. They know how to play the strings of the rawest and deepest nerves in our lives. Right? I mean, sports movies, you may be different, but they get me every time. I mean, Hoosiers, Rudy, The Natural, um, Remember the Titans, whatever it is. I always tell myself in sitting down to watch one of these movies, okay, hold it together. Don't cry. Um, you know, don't tear up. Whatever. Um, But, you know, when that underdog is validated, right, triumphant and approved and accepted, it just gets me every time. Right. And I can't help it. They know how to hit my deepest and rawest nerve. Viral videos. Oh, man. Of the... um, Autistic child. Remember this video where he scored like 25 points in a basketball game and the crowds were going wild. I mean, I see those videos and I have to like check myself. Are you do you think you can handle this today, Nathan? Um, This is going to be big. It's going to get me or maybe your deal is love stories. Right. That that shy, awkward girl who's finally noticed when her true beauty shines through. Right. And, And she's not only noticed in that moment, but she's loved. And she's accepted. I mean, there's a reason these viral videos and these stories and these movies, they get us, right? They provoke such deep emotion in us. And it's because this longing that we all have to be okay, to know that we measure up and we're approved of, right, it is driving, I would say, Everything you do in life. It drives the reason you do everything you do in your life. See, in this story that Jesus tells us, he is he's saying there are two ways. There are two ways you can try and get the verdict that you're OK, that you're approved, that you're valued, that you're significant. See, he puts these two people Side by side in this story with opposite ways of dealing with this deep longing. Right. And Tim Keller, he's getting a lot of press this morning with the book earlier. But, you know, his thoughts and ideas on this passage were very formative for me because he talks about how we're all trying to satisfy this longing, either by an outside in approach or an inside out approach to life. Now, approach is a a great word, but I like the word strategy better. Because that's what it is. We have this deep longing, right? And we are looking for a strategy that will get us what we need to know that we're okay, approved and valued. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to show you the outside in strategy of the Pharisee, the inside out strategy of the tax collector. And then finally, I want to talk about how to live the inside out strategy. Okay. so first, the outside in strategy. Now, immediately, we face a problem when we come to this parable. And the problem that we face is that it's dealing with a Pharisee. And you and I are prejudiced negatively against Pharisees, right? To quote one scholar, centuries of interpretation have led us to see the Pharisee as a negative character. But Jews listening to Jesus would have assumed that the Pharisee was a righteous man. You know, to feel the impact of this story that Jesus it's telling you, you have to put away your prejudice, right? Rome had taken over, right? Liberal, polytheistic, oppressive Rome was the occupying government of this time. And the Pharisees, they were the conservative reform movement, right? I mean, they were the Bible-believing, conservative, family values-driven, right? Small government advocates um, fighting for prayer in schools. That, that was this group, Right? There is no argument in this parable that this man was doing anything other than what he said he was doing. He was not stealing from people. He was not abusing people with his power. He stood up for the cause of the oppressed. Right. He was a faithful husband and he was very generous. But he is an example in this parable of someone who is working the outside in strategy. You see it in the story, right? See, he's measuring external, isolated activities in his life, right? He didn't say, thank you, God, that I am becoming more patient, that I'm becoming more kind and more loving. He didn't say that because that's character stuff. And he's not talking about character. He's talking about all the things he is doing and not doing. Right. He uses the word I five times in his short little prayer. It's all about his performance. This is the outside in strategy because I have done all the right things and avoided all the wrong things. That should ease my conscience. It should give me peace. Right. I mean, now I should feel better about myself. I should feel approved and accepted and valued because. Well, just look at my resume. Right. The outside in strategy. Now, before we move on from this point, I want to explore two signs that will tell you whether or not you are living the outside in strategy. And the first sign is that when you work the outside in strategy, you will feel superior to other people. Right. See how verse 11 says he went and stood by himself. He feels so superior in, co- in comparison to all those other people who are beneath him. Right. V- verse nine. He treated others with contempt in his superiority. He thumbs over at the tax collector. Right. I'm not like that guy. You know, the outside in strategy, it breeds feelings of superiority and comparison. When this is your strategy, you gossip about other people. You tear other people down to prove your superiority to yourself and other people. You assume that the suffering in other people's lives is deserved. You distance yourself from people you deem to be too far gone or too broken. That's one sign. The second sign is that you elevate your preferences. See, don't steal, don't oppress, don't commit adultery, tithe. The Bible says you should be doing all of those things. But notice how this guy sneaks fasting in there. You know, I fast twice a week. So in the Old Testament, you know, fasting was commanded. But it was commanded only one time a year on the Day of Atonement. This guy is not fasting one time a year. He is fasting 104 times a year. He has elevated, not the law, but his preference. See, our elevated preferences are a sign that we are working the outside-in strategy. We have all heard people, sometimes subtly, sometimes not so subtly, boast about the way they have decided to educate their children. And I have heard it from every side of the track. We send our kids to public school. We send our kids to a Christian school. We homeschool our kids. You know, this is why I have encouraged a number of you privately to never talk about what you do with your kids' education. Because if you think the Bible is clear one way or the other on this issue, you are not reading your Bible very well. It's a preference that you have elevated. And the reason you talk about it so passionately, and the reason some of you are getting ticked off at me right now, right? Getting angry and getting defensive is because you have turned a preference into a cause of morality. And you are working outside in. It makes you feel better about you. You know, we do it with our worship too. To clap or not to clap? That is the question. Right? (laughs) To say amen or to not say amen. To be expressive or not be expressive in our worship. To play fast music or to play slow music. To use a piano or an organ or to use guitar and drums. You know this. You know this, right? Those preferences get elevated to the place of morality. And the Bible says nothing about it. But it makes you feel righter. It makes you feel righteouser. Or what, that's not a word. But more... More righteous than others. Or, or maybe it's how you dress for Sunday worship or your political views or whether or not you let your kids go trick-or-treating. I don't know what your deal is, right? It could be anything. The point isn't what. The point is why we do it. Right, because we are seeking to satisfy this longing that we matter, that we are approved, that we measure up. And we're arguing with our hearts from the outside in. Look at what I do. Look how we do it. I think the most quoted line that I hear from Anchorman um, is when Will Ferrell's character, Ron Burgundy, he's talking to Christina Applegate's character, uh, Veronica Corningstone. And see, he really wants to impress her, right? And so he says, you know, I'm kind of a big deal, um, right? He, he says, people know me, um, I'm very important. I have many leather-bound books, right? And my apartment smells of rich mahogany and on and on. Um, And it's funny, and we laugh at it. And the reason we laugh is because the only reason anyone would ever say, I'm a pretty big deal. Is because deep down, he knows he isn't, right? He is trying to convince himself and others that he's a big deal, that he matters, that he's valued. That he's significant. You know, we need to let people know, right? <laughs> Help them subtly, right? Discover the things that we've, we've been doing. And how well we performed. And how much money we gave. And who we served. And the time you volunteered. And if we don't do it out loud, we do it internally. We argue with our approval-needing, righteous cr- righteousness-craving hearts. You must be lovable, Accepted and approved. Just look at your resume. Why does the Pharisee have to pray out loud? Because he is arguing with himself, with others, and with God. He is trying to convince his approval-needing, righteousness-craving heart that he's okay. And he's arguing from the outside in. Okay, second. The tax collector in this story, he shows us the inside-out strategy. Okay? And we get more of a description here of the tax, collect, the tax collector's posture, right? He's standing far off. His eyes are looking down. He's beating his chest. But look how much shorter, how, more, how much more simple his prayer is in verse 13. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, I, I guess it makes for awkward reading in the uh, English translations. But it's important to know that the Greek, in the Greek, a tax, the tax collector here, uses a definite article it's the word the so what he really says here is god be merciful to me the sinner and immediately you see the difference between these two characters because there's no comparison to others right and there is no list of activities because you see he is saying something even more than i am a sinner. And here's a list of my sins. He is confessing this is who I am down at the core of my being. I mean, sin to him was not a list of activities that he had done or not done. It was a disease like gangrene spreading death and decay from his heart, infecting everything that he did. That's how he saw himself. You know, tax collectors We're not nice people. They were not moral people. He was a traitor to his own people and he was unjust. And he was greedy. And he abused and he victimized people with his power. Why would someone greedily extort money and abuse others with their power? Don't you see? That's just another way to work outside in. It's abusing and using others. To make yourself feel significant and valuable and okay and secure. He is confessing the deeply warped and twisted nature of his heart. It doesn't matter what anyone else in this room is. I am the center. My problem is not external, but internal. So what does the center pray? He prays God be Merciful to me. Okay, last Greek reference for the day. The word for mercy here is not the usual Greek word for mercy. The word used here only shows up in the New Testament four other times as a noun and only one other time like this as a verb. And the word is halaskamai. Right. And it means very specifically to make sacrificial atonement. And see, this is the inside out approach. This is the inside out strategy, right? He isn't saying, give me another chance. He isn't saying, I'll try harder next time. He isn't saying, I'll improve my checklist. He isn't saying, I'll fix myself if you give me enough time. He is saying, I am a sinner through and through. And therefore, God, I need you to make sacrificial atonement for me. In other words, for me to get the excuse me, for me to get. The acceptance and the approval. For me to get the okay that I measure up. Right? I need you to accept a life and a death in my place. Why? So that I can be okay, even though I know I'm not okay. Right? Here's the only other place in the New Testament. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Hmm the only other place in the New Testament where that this verb, halaskamai, is used. It's in Hebrews 2.17 where the author, <clears throat> he's talking about Jesus and he writes this. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might halaskamai, make atonement for the sins of the people. The inside-out strategy says, I'm desperate for approval to know I measure up and that I'm accepted, <clears throat> I know you're getting annoyed. Sorry. Loved and valued. And the only way it's possible is if God would send someone. Someone innocent would die in my place and pay for my sins. And give me their record of righteousness. And that's why Jesus came. Why Hebrews tells us he was fully human. That he might climb the cross (coughs) In your place and mine, to the death you and I deserved, and to give to us his perfect, innocent, and spotless record. The outside in strategy, you know what it leaves you? It leaves you so terribly insecure, even in your superiority. It leaves you so fearful, it leaves you so anxious, so restless, it makes you so unapproachable, so angry, and so arrogant. But the inside out strategy alone will set you free. It alone can set you free and quiet your restless heart and anchor your security and turn you humble. And kind and approachable. Let me show you the difference the inside out strategy makes. Some of you have heard this before. Others, it's new to you. But one of my all time favorite stories is about a day when I was at. Liberty Land, and it was in the middle of the summer and the sun was beating down right miserably like it always does in a Memphis summer. And I was uh, I was on this bench at Liberty Land and I was eating a corn dog, a pronto pup and drinking a Coke. And um, and all throughout the park, there used to be these uh, mist machines on the sidewalks. And so in the middle of this miserable summer, if you're at the park, you could walk under these mist machines and get cooled off by the water that was spraying there. So I'm sitting down on this bench and I'm minding my own business, and then I, I start to notice people, and they are pointing at something, and they're giggling, and they're whispering, and they're staring. And so, insecure as I was, I thought, "Are they staring at me?" Um, but um, but I followed their stares, and they're they're pointing to this one miss machine, and in that miss machine, there was a father. And his daughter playing in in the the mist that was falling in the puddles that had formed underneath this machine. And the reason they were staring and pointing and giggling is because this little girl, who's probably eight or nine years old, was horribly deformed. The arm and leg on one side of her body was twice as long as the arm and leg on the other side of her body. And it was completely asymmetrical and it looked awkward. But there they were playing in the mist machine, and I saw these people giggling and staring and pointing. And you know, I, I was getting angry, very angry. And then I realized that this little girl, it, she was oblivious to it all. You know, she was oblivious to the stares, to the giggles. To all the whispers. She could care less. What anyone thought of her that day. Because she had her father's smile. And that was all that mattered to her. She had the delight. She had the approval. She had the acceptance of her father. She mattered and she was valued by her father. In her father's eyes. It was completely okay that she wasn't okay. Look, this is what the tax collector got. He was not okay. I mean, the Bible is very clear about this. It is not okay to be greedy with your money. It is not okay to steal. It is not okay to abuse people with your power. He was not okay. But this, this parable that Jesus tells, he says... He was not OK, but he went home justified. He went home righteous. He went home approved. He went home accepted and delighted in because of a sacrifice of atonement in his place. A sacrifice that declared that he was OK, even though he wasn't OK. In that sacrifice, I'm telling you. In the inside out strategy. He found the beaming satisfied smile of his father. And it set him free. I mean, gone was the need to argue from the outside in. Gone was the need to compare and feel superior to others. Gone was the need to turn preference into morality. Justice and love met in the sacrifice of atonement. And he was free. Okay, last and very briefly, how to live this inside out strategy Verses 15 through 17 in your passage, they don't look like they belong with this parable. But I want you just to imagine for a second that Luke knew what he was doing when he put those verses behind this parable. Right? This story of Jesus welcoming little children, infants, to him. And the reason he put it here, I think, is to tell you this is how you live the inside-out strategy. I really can't do a whole lot with these verses, but look, people are bringing their children to Jesus so that he would bless them. Right. And in this culture, you have to understand that children were completely unimportant. Right. At best, they were an inconvenience in an agrarian society because they couldn't contribute. Right. And so they the disciples are there thinking we have Jesus here. We have a major player, a revolutionary. We've got engagements to book for him. He's a busy guy. He's going to change the world, right? Don't waste his time by bringing these little children to him. Now, you and I, we don't think of children as nothing. Um, we wouldn't go that far. But listen, and I'm speaking from experience. I have four little children. And, um, you know, when they were babies, <laughs> I would never say that they were nothing, but they were a terrible inconvenience. Um <laughs> Because you have to do everything for those children, right? You have to wash them. You have to dress them. You have to feed them. You have to change them. You have to carry them from room to room. Babies are moochers. That's what they are. They they aren't helping pay the rent or the grocery bill. They're not contributing anything. Their one contribution to the family as a baby is their utter neediness. Jesus says, for to such belongs kingdom of God. He says, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall never enter it. The only way to enter Jesus' kingdom is to receive it like a child. And by the way, a child, he is saying, receives everything in life as a pure gift, a free gift. Jesus is maybe even saying something stronger than that. Because he's saying anyone who does not receive the kingdom like this. They will never enter it. See, your good behavior can't get you a foot in the door. But your bad behavior can't keep you out either. It's a free gift for those who see their utter need. That word halaskamai. It means sacrificial atonement. It's only used six times in the New Testament, but it was it was also used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it referred to the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. This place on the Ark of the Covenant, on the top of the Ark. See, one time a year on the Day of Atonement, one guy, the high priest, could come before the Ark of the Covenant. Right. Which symbolized God's presence, his holy presence. And to come before the ark on that day, this guy had to come in with blood. And he had to sprinkle it on the halaskami, on the mercy seat. And you know why? It's because on the inside of the ark, there were these two tablets. The Ten Commandments. The law of God. And to come before God's presence in the ark of the covenant... Was to come under the scrutiny of the law. Measuring you by its standard. And no one could measure up to that. The only way to come into God's presence was through a blood sacrifice. A spotless, blameless, innocent sacrifice that satisfied the just scrutiny of the law. And welcomed the sinner. Approved, accepted, and loved Through the innocence of that sacrifice. The only way to come in. To God's presence. Is to receive this gift. Like a child. The gift of God's own son. Delivered up. To satisfy his justice. And mercy. To satisfy his righteousness. And his grace. His holiness and his love. In just a moment. You and I are going to be invited to come to this table right here. And on this table, we have bread that represents Jesus's body and wine that represents his blood. What is this table proclaiming to you and me, but that a sacrifice of atonement has been made in your place and in mine? The law's loud thunder doesn't need to cause you to tremble anymore because this table says justice has been satisfied. But it also says something else to you this morning. It says because of Jesus life and death for you today. You already are in Jesus fully loved. And fully accepted and fully approved in him. This table says you measure up. In him, this table says you are enough in him. This table says. The smile of the father rests upon you. The way to live the inside out strategy is to like a child receive the gift of life through Jesus. And the way to come to this table is like a needy, dependent, joyful child receiving the gift of Christ's body and blood. I wish we had more time. But let me just say this. This gift of free grace, if you get it, It will change you. One chapter later, again, I don't think this is an accident. In Luke chapter 19, Luke tells us the story of a tax collector named Zacchaeus. A guy who abandoned the outside in strategy and he came to Jesus like a child and it radically changed him. Read this story into a merciful, loving, generous man. The point is simple. The inside out strategy. It will change you from the inside out. This is the good news of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken into the darkness. And that you have given us a light for our feet. Father, we confess That even as believers. We still revert back to the outside in strategy. And we seek to argue with our hearts. That we are accepted and approved and valued because of what we have done. Father free us. From that deathly strategy. Break us. And make us like children. Children. Help us to see our utter and desperate need of Jesus. Give us the gift of an empty, outstretched hand. Seeking to receive the gift of Jesus. Who is a sacrifice of atonement for us. So that in him we could know that even today. Despite all of our warts and blemishes. We can be assured that in him we are fully loved. Fully accepted. That in him we measure up and are enough. That we are okay. Even though we're not okay. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.